Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. very dominant theme, and I know that you all watch TV, and I know that you all like movies, everybody here like those things, turn to your neighbor and tell them your favorite, current favorite or past favorite, apocalyptic movie or TV show, and go. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Favorite apocalyptic. What we hear? What, what's that? Armageddon. Armageddon. Fantastic. That was the name earlier. I was so thinking Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Yeah, that's that. All right. I'm not going to say it every time you do that. I'm not. What's some of the other ones? Anybody over here? What's that? Left Behind. Left Behind. Yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that, is that coming out? Yeah. That's coming out, right? Okay. The Stand. The Stand. The Stand. Any others? The Walking Dead. That's like a, oh, you said The Walking Dead over here. Anybody else? Like World War Z? What's that? What did you say? Uh, no. <laughs> Independence Day. You're right. So there's there's tons of them. Mad, what was it? Mad Max? Is that right? Is that from the 80s? Did I say that right? It's coming out again. Oh, is it coming back out again? All right. So so this is, this is a popular theme that gets rehashed over and over again. Why? Because we're curious. We're really curious about what would happen if. What would happen if we did lose power? What would happen if all this stuff happened? What happened if there really was an end point? You know what I mean? What, what would really happen? We're, we're kind of, I don't want to say we're obsessed with it, but it is definitely something that, that piques our curiosity. And, uh, and I think that's a, that's a natural thing. But like I said, I, I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time philosophizing about Revelation. Just when you read the book of Revelation, anybody here ever read that book before? It's, it's in the Bible. It's the last book in the Bible. Man, it is a scary book, isn't it? And we look at it, and some of us, the temptation is there when you read it to go, yeah, right. And kind of brush it to the side. I, I even do Bible studies with people. When we get to Revelation, like, can we read something else? I'm like, no. No. We're going to read Revelation. We're going to get through this. Yeah, but I don't really like it. Oh, that's okay. That's right. That's right. Or maybe I've even gotten this pushback. Yeah, I don't really believe any of that's going to happen. I go, so wait a minute. Let's back up for a second. You have no problem believing some of those fantastic things like creatures with four different faces and ridiculous amounts of wings, you know? And, and, you have no, and you have a problem with God pouring out His bowls of wrath, and 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 you know more than like what is it, two thirds of the population will die because of all these plagues and things like all the stuff that is in Revelation. You have a hard time believing that, but the basis of our faith is that our Christ came from heaven, put Himself in an earth suit, walked this world for thirty three years, died, rose from the grave. You have no problem believing that, but you have a problem believing believing some of the things in Revelation. We believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and hung out for three days and spit out. We don't have a problem believing that. We don't have a problem believing that the world was destroyed by a flood or that there was a talking serpent in the garden. We don't have any problem with that. Our faith is intact. But you get to Revelations and all of a sudden we're like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to happen. And I I think part of it is is we don't want to have to deal with the implications of what it means. That there is an end coming. Because if we really believe that there is an end coming, we would live in a way that represented that, right? So that's what I want to talk about today. And like I said, it's natural to be curious about the end times that the disciples were. And all of us here are disciples, right? I think a better word for us is more like an apprentice or a follower of Jesus. But, but the disciples were, uh, were curious, and they asked Jesus. In Matthew 24, 3, they said, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. 
Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the end of the age? So when you read these, these claims of Jesus and some of the disciples, even the prophetic book of Revelation, like I said, you might be tempted to say, yeah, right. And I get that because some of it is fantastic. But, but God is giving us this warning. He said, hey, there are signs of the times of when I'm coming, and there's things you need to do in order to be prepared for them. So that's what we're going to jump into. So uh, if you are one of those that are here today and you doubt these claims, if you are one of those ones that are laughing, would even make fun of these kind of claims, that's okay, because guess what? You're just one of the signs of the ends of the times, because it says that your laughter would be that. Look, in 2 Peter 3, 3-10, three through 10, it says, first of all, it should be up on the screen here. There you go. It says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, because that's what they do, and following their own desires. Let me stop right there for a second. If you don't know what the word scoffer means, it means to mock or to make fun of. Right? I've seen this scene over and over again, and just in, in specifically dealing with Christianity, the goal is to discredit a thing, right? And so you mock it or you make fun of it. Republicans do it to Democrats, Democrats do it to Republicans. But within the realm of Christianity, we see a, a, a student and a professor in college, and the co- college professor says to the classroom, if there is a God, I'm going to drop this piece of chalk, and he will stop it from hitting the ground. And what they try to do is discredit God within the, and they get God to act on their terms, right? So that they can discredit him. And of course the professor drops the piece of chalk and it falls and hits the ground and shatters. You see, see, no God. And they're mocking, they're making fun of. They're demanding that God do a thing in that time. And they do that, they make fun of, they scoff at, at, at the words in scripture and at God in general so that it, they use it as a springboard to live their life in any way that they want to. Because if there is no God, and the Bible doesn't ex- is not truth, then they don't have to live according to it. There's no judgment. There's no reason to live right. There's no reason to love your neighbor. There's no command. And so they, they scoff at it because they want to live in a particular way. Let's continue with that verse. It says, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Notice that it's in, it's in quotes. Where is this coming, he promised. Can you hear the sarcasm? These are scoffers. That he promised, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, yeah, you've been saying this for years. You've been saying Jesus is going to return, and honestly, the disciples started it then, and now here we are, and it's 2014, and guess what? Jesus hasn't split the skies and come back yet, right? So so they actually believed during that time, Peter believed, the disciples, that Jesus would come back during that time, because he said, I'll be back. But no man knows, so just be ready. (coughs) It's like packing your bags and just leaving them always at the door, right? So anyway, so the verse continues. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world that of that time was del- deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So it's kind of like dog years for us, right? You know, it's like one year for us, and seven years for them. One year for God is like a thousand years for us. Okay, so I guess we're the dog in this scenario. Anyway, um, are you guys even awake this morning? Yes. Awake? Sometimes I just say things to see if you're awake. Like, shake it up, wake up. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's on his own time schedule, folks. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. And aren't we thankful for that? But everyone, to, um, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. 
The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, Peter is writing this letter, and it's near the end of his life. And he wanted to remind Christians that the final day is real. He calls it the day of the Lord and reminds the Christian readers that it is definitely coming. It is coming. The day of the Lord will come. And the disciples believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime, and so they lived in such a way to be prepared. So we said, all right, Aaron, great. I understand that, but what are some of the signs that the Bible talks about so that we know this is for sure, that we are currently living in these kind of times? Great. Let's look at some of the things. The very first thing that we can know from the signs of the time is that people will do their own thing. What does that mean? They're going to be me-focused. They're going to be materialistic, not heavenly-minded at all. If any indication that this is what's happening in our current time, and I could be wrong, this could just be the beginning of it and something much greater and worse is coming, but Facebook, Facebook is the king of me. Of me, It's all about me. I have my own wall. I post my pictures there. I post my ALS ice water challenges. I post. <laughs> I do that. It's all about, it's about me. It's about what I think. It's about what I believe. It's given us a voice, and it's me focused. Let's be honest. How many of you guys actually look at other people's walls, right? Everybody asks me, hey, did you see this thing I put on my wall? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I, I didn't see Because you know what I do with Facebook? I post something and then I check to see who's commented or liked it. It's all about me. It's all about me. Am I the only one? Yes. Yeah, I am. I'm the only one. I'm the only one selfish. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. If it's not, but it, Facebook is just an example. Do I, do I believe that Facebook is bad? It's, it's not. It's not. But this is, this is evidence of it's all about me. We create a world that is about me. And we want people to look at it. Hey, look at me. And then we, we also say, look at the American dream. Look at our current culture. What is the American dream? It's success, it's wealth, it's a house, it's a better house, it's a bigger car, a better car. It is stuff. We are about Abercrombie and Fitch and, and like all the expensive <laughs> stuff. Is there anything wrong with Abercrombie and Fitch? No. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we are not going there today, folks. That is not where we're going. We're going to stay the course. But I'm just saying we're, we're very materialistic. We, we think that that stuff defines us, and we allow that stuff to define us. That's the American dream, right? We look at our culture. People are lovers of themselves, seeking instant gratification instead of being long-term and eternal thinkers. They sacrifice their souls for today's pleasure to avoid the pain of patience, labor, and long-suffering. Planning parties, going to events, concert attendance, family outings, not even once giving a thought to spiritual matters. That's a sign of our times, guys, that that the end times are here, that Jesus is coming soon. He's definitely coming soon. Is there anything wrong with these things that I mentioned? No, absolutely not. But when you ignore the spiritual aspect of yourself, of your personal relationship with Christ, of your personal devotions, then absolutely those things become your God. Those things become the thing that you chase after. Leading into the next point, people will forget God. People will forget God. That is another sign of the times. Look, at everywhere you turn, we are pushing God further and further out of everything that we do. Our money says, in God we trust. But in Texas recently, there's a, big, there's a big argument because they put, in God we trust, our nation's slogan, on something that was, that, that was county-related or city-related, state-related. I, I can't remember the specific details. I probably should have Googled that. But that, that's just recently happened. We push prayer out of our schools. 
kids, there was a kid on the news recently who wasn't allowed to read his Bible during his free time. Pushing, uh, and during school, hey, you can have free time. Not allowed to read his Bible. We are pushing God further and further. We are intentionally doing it so that we don't have to see God. We have forgotten Him. Matthew 24, 12 identifies this in Jesus talking. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Why? Because they're loving themselves. It's all about me. It's all about my stuff. Many will turn away from the truth. They will be against the truth. They'll twist the truth. They'll even tune out the truth. But there will be some, and I'm hoping I'm speaking to you, that will trust the truth and tell others about the truth. Amen? Amen. The third sign of the time. People will think he's not coming. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. May I ask you a question? Has anybody here ever been robbed? How many of you guys knew the robber was coming? (laughs) (laughs) Only one hand in here. That's an interesting story. I want to know it later. But but honestly, if you knew you were going to get robbed, would you have done something differently? And I don't mean you'd have been like, hey, honey, just leave the door open so he doesn't bust the window so he can get in. You know what I mean? Leave him a little bit of cash and... And a, and a little note that leave them a track that says Jesus love you. <laughs> leave, it, leave it there next to your iPod, your wallet, and your purse. Just kind of just Jesus loves you. Go ahead and take it. I don't mean that kind of ready. I mean like if you knew, if you knew that you were going to get robbed, you'd be standing there with a baseball bat in your block or a whole or a whole group of your posse. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what up? I'm going to try to get my iPod. So try to take my car. Well, you want my shirt too? Look. So if you knew that a thief was coming. If you, knew what a thief, if you knew that a thief was coming, you'd be prepared, right? That's why every time we hear a noise in the middle of the night, we jump up and we look out the window and we run it around the house with a baseball bat, you know? Look, for me, my theft deterrent is just me running around in my underwear. They're like, oh, we are out of here. We are done. So, like, look. If we knew the thief was coming, we would be ready for it. I'm sorry for the mental image. I but honestly... Jesus, he's described as, I will come like a thief in the night. In other words, you're not going to know when he's coming. You're not going to be ready for him. You're you're not. In general, it's just you're not going to be ready for that thief. And so even though Jesus' delay has been long, it's part of God's plan. The fourth thing we know is that people will not be ready. Because they don't expect him, they don't believe he's going to come, and when they don't believe he's going to come, they are not living in such a way that they are ready for his return. Matthew 24, this is Jesus again, 40 through 42. Two men will be in the field. This is how he describes the situation. That when he comes, this is what's going to happen. Two guys will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You know, I don't know about you guys, and I'm speaking to the guys in this situation. When you go out on a date... And she's still upstairs in the bathroom. It is like time to go. And she is still upstairs. My wife should be upstairs in the bathroom. And I am at the bottom of the stairs. Are you ready yet? She's like, give me five more minutes. I'm like, you said that five minutes ago. Give me five more. Turns into ten. Are you ready yet? Five more minutes. She's just not ready. It's like, I told you, like, you've known for a week that we were going on this date. I cooked dinner. I got the kids ready so that you could get ready. You're still not ready. I'm like, hey, honey, do you believe in the hereafter? And she's like, well, yeah, I said, good, because you're going to be here after I'm gone. (laughs) It's 
start singing to her, I wish we'd all been ready. You guys don't know that song, do you? <laughs> the DC Talk version, not the old, old version from the 70s. Anyway. But the Bible says that because of our lack of belief, we won't be ready. We won't be prepared for the time when he does show up. We'll be carried away by our own thing, having forgotten God and thinking he's not coming. So what do we do? It's our responsibility to understand the signs of the times, to see them. And then go, all right, how, how do we respond to this? Because if I need to be ready, tell me how I'm ready. Tell me how to be ready for when Jesus comes. For the unexpected thief, how do you prepare? Well, it's simple. You live like he could come at any moment. If Jesus were legit standing right here, pierced hands and all, how would you behave? If he was coming over to your house for dinner today, how would that dinner go? How would your interaction with your family be? If Jesus was at work with you, what would you do? Like, hey, Jesus, was up? I got you, but I mean, like, how would you behave differently? So when we prepare, one of the very first things that we can do, if we really believe that the end is near, 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. We hate that self-controlled word, don't we? We would really go, hey, you need control. You need to, get, you need to, to, to fix yourself, right? We point, at the fa- point our fingers at everybody else and we can point out their problems. But self-control is our, is our personal issue, right? Instead of staying right here, just living right here with me. This is where I live. I'm take care of me. I ain't going to worry about nobody else. We point the finger at everybody else. But we need to control ourselves. Why? The verse continues on, so that you can pray. So Aaron, I'm not really familiar with prayer. I, I don't really know what to do. But let me tell you a couple things that you can do. Let me tell you just a, a little thing about prayer. We did a whole series on prayer. You can get on our, on our website, listen to it. I want to say it's four or five weeks long. You can listen to it. We break down what prayer is and talk through that. I would encourage you, if you don't know much about prayer, to listen to that. And then connect with me and we can, we can pray together. I'll show you. It's very simple. Some of the simple things you can do when you pray is make it a real prayer. See, real prayer is driven by relationship, not need or crisis. It's important, so I'm going to say it again. Real prayer is driven by relationship, not your need or your crisis. In other words, if you're really praying, if you you have that relationship with God, you're going to talk to Him about everything that's going on in your life. Not just when, hey God, I need you. I'm out of money. Or, hey God, I'm sick. I'm getting ready to die. And you'll talk to him in a real way. And so how do you do that? Well, you make it personal, not formal. Matthew 6, 7 through 8, Jesus is talking about prayer. And he said, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, isn't that a beautiful thing? God already knows what you need. He knows your life. He knows your beginning. He knows your end. He knows all of your decisions. Your failures, your strengths, successes, weaknesses, all of it. He knows all of you and he knows your need. Don't you think you can talk to him about it? It's not like, you know, revealing a failure to me or to Kyle over here. Saying, Kyle, I done messed up. We're talking about a God who already knows you messed up. Or he knows your need. So talk to him about it. Pray about that thing. And then you can pray with confidence. Because Hebrews 4, 15-16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. They're talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is not God who just hung out in heaven and never came back <coughs> here and experienced life. 
He wrapped himself in an earth suit, became a man, and lived here for 33 years. He, know what it's, he knows what it's like to bump his, his knee. and to, Maybe he doesn't know what it's like to step on a Lego, but whatever the Lego equivalent of that time was, he knows what that feels like, right? Jesus knows and, and understands loss. He understands our world. He, he gets it. He empathizes with us. And because he understands that, he can better relate to our needs. So, in other words, we don't have a God who has never experienced what we've experienced. Jesus has. He knows. And he was tempted in every way, and yet did not sin. The verse continues. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We really believe that God's listening. We're confident that he's listening and knows our needs and is willing to hear them. Then we'd go confidently to him. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the first thing we can do to be ready is to pray. The second thing is, you can focus on your relationships. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9, it says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why focus on people? Why is it so important? I'll tell you why. Because people are so important to God. Period. We say here, love God, that's the most important thing. The second most important thing to us is love people. Period. Why? For God so loved the world. God loved us and did all of this for us. And it's his primary focus, it is now my primary focus, and should be your primary focus. On 9-11, when the towers came down, what do you think the people were focused on when the end was near? Do you think anybody checked their bank accounts? Do you think anybody called their stockbroker or asked for a bag of peanuts? Do you think anybody went on Amazon and tried to buy something? Do you think anybody was concerned about the label that was on their clothes on 9-11? People that were on those planes. And they knew they were going down. They knew their end was near. What were they focused on? People. They grabbed cell phones and ducked behind seats called their loved ones. Maybe they called people that they had broken relationships with. Maybe they called their kids said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we've been separated for so long. I want you to know that I love you and I believe this is going down. They called people. They didn't care about stuff anymore. And if we really believed that the end was near, people would be our priority. People would. And there are four ways that we can deal with people. There's four questions that you can ask yourself when we're talking about relationships. What relationship in my life needs to be initiated? Initiated, then started. Who can you look around in your world like Jesus did and find 12 disciples? And I'm not telling you find 12 people. I'm just talking about one today. Who's in your world of influence? At work? In your neighborhood? Wherever you hang out, you can say, I need, I need to bring this person along. I need to begin a relationship with them. Who is it for you? And I'm asking these questions, and I'm leaving them hanging, hoping that you're going, okay, I, I know somebody I need to start a relationship with. Second question is, what relationship needs to be nurtured? You know, you've got relationships that, that with people that, that are hurting, that are broken, that are in pain. Who, who can you nurture? Galatians 5, 13 through 15 describes the great way to nurture. It says, serve one another in love. That means unconditional. That love is the agape love. I love that unconditional. Regardless of the way that you treat me, I'm going to serve you with love. <coughs> with a love that says I accept you, 
I love you the way you are. Even though you're hurting me, I can serve you. I can love you. Even though you're hurting yourself, I can serve you. I can love you. So serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So who's your neighbor? Jesus answered this in a great parable. It's, it's whoever's around you. That's your neighbor. I don't literally mean the people that live right next door to you, although the word covers that as well. The word neighbor is those people that are there. Who's your neighbor? Look around this room. You've got a bunch of neighbors right now. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I've never met anybody who didn't love themselves in one way or another. See, I have food because I love myself. If I get hungry, I get hangry. I get angry, hang, angry, hungry, right? If that word, I just combine it. It's easier to say. I get mad. I get hateful, man. I start to shake a little bit. I start feeling a little woozy. I need to eat. I love myself. I'm going to take care of me. I like having clothes on. I know you guys like me having clothes on, so I'm going to wear clothes. I have shelter. You know, I want grace. I want forgiveness. I want a phone call. I, I want people in my life that are interested in me, my well-being. So, so that's nurturing for ourselves. That's what we want for ourselves. Why, why couldn't we give that to somebody else? So, so what relationships do you have that can be nurtured by you? Who do you know that needs the same things that you want out of your life? And what do you have that you can give? Or in what way can you serve them tr- and truly love them like you love yourself? Third question. What relationship needs to be restored? Look, we are broken people. Sometimes. And we have relationships that are broken because of our decisions, because of our circumstances, misunderstandings, because of our selfishness. What relationship needs to be restored in your life? Ephesians 4 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, you were supposed to have peace with all people. So the question is who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to call to seek forgiveness? And who do you need to come to in humility and compromise on your selfishness? What relationships need to be restored? You say, well, Aaron, that's fine, but they broke my trust. Well, I'm not necessarily telling you that you have to set everything like it was. I'm talking about your relationship. When you set things right, you're able to... like When I, when I set things right with somebody, I want to be able to walk up to them in public and say, hey, how you doing, man? And have a civil conversation with them. That's peace. Let's say I have to be best friends with them. I have to text them every day, 20 times a day. I'm talking about peace, and that's a different thing. And it's easier than you think. What relationship needs to be severed is your fourth question when you're thinking about your relationships. Corinthians says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So who are you hanging out with? What relationships are holding you back? You know, if you suffer from addiction or, and are surrounding yourself with people who are engaged in that addiction, it's probably not a good idea. That's a relationship that needs to be severed. Even if it's just for a time period. To sever that relationship. Is that relationship pulling you down or pushing you towards Christ? It's a great question to ask. And if not, maybe it's time to sever it. I've had to let people go out of my life before. And it hurts. Life is not the same. But at least I'm able to keep my goals. At least I'm able to continue moving forward with Christ. I didn't say it would be easy, folks. 
Because doing all of these things, asking these questions, and the answers to each one of these questions is going to cost you all something. It will cost you something. The last, one of the, uh, the next things we can do to be prepared, I, I should get my life right with God. Set, and Peter again, 3.11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. You know, living your life in such a way as that Christ will return like a thief means you will be ready. It means you will pursue after righteousness. Aaron, that's a big churchy word. What does that mean? Righteousness? It's just right living. It's right living before God. That's what it means. Not only does it does does it mean obeying what his word tells us to do, it means focusing on others and, and uh, focusing on giving our hearts and lives to him and saying, Lord, lead me. Convict me of sin. Show me where I'm sinning against you, myself, or others. Being willing to humble yourself and then responding through prayer and humility about those things. You know, on a regular basis, I pray this prayer. It goes like this. Lord, do I need to forgive anybody? Do I need to seek or, or give uh, forgiveness to somebody? Or do I need to seek them and say, hey, I need, to, I need to ask you to forgive me? Is there anybody in my life like that? And get ready, because if you pray prayers like that, that's a simple prayer, right? Get ready, because he'll show you somebody. You seek to have peace, he will show you somebody. And guess what? Now you get to obey. Oh, <laughs> oh no. That's right. But the beauty that comes from obeying, seeking peace with somebody, is much greater than holding on to it. Make those phone calls and people go, man, I was thinking about you. I, I called one guy and he said, man, I, I was just thinking about you. It had been 10 years. 10 years, he said, God laid you on my heart on Sunday. And it was like a Wednesday or Thursday when I got a hold of him. He's I've been praying for you. Let's get together. Somebody that I need to make it right with. Pray. It's a simple prayer, guys. Get right with God. Find the way to follow and pursue righteousness or right living. It can be a forgiveness thing. It can just be in the way that you lead your life. And his, and his word outlines that for us. And even in the times of being uncomfortable with those uncomfortable conversations, these acts of obedience lead us towards righteousness. The last thing we can do to be ready is share Christ with urgency. You know, if you believe that people are really in danger of hellfire, and I'm not, I'm not a guy who likes to beat people <laughs> over the head and be, be this guy who says, repent! I'm not, because that has a negative connotation to it. You know, but the scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. In other words, this is a good thing. Repentance is good. You say, I can start over. I get to turn around. I get to turn away from something that's going to destroy me and go a different direction with forgiveness of the fact that I was ever facing that direction. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. But if we really believed that there was going to be an end, we would share the love of Christ with somebody. We would invite them into our lives. We would pray. We would seek to be right ourselves. You know, if I saw any one of you walking out into the street and a bus was coming and you were getting ready to get nailed, just plowed by a bus, I would scream your name and I'd run out into the street and try to pull you out from in front of that bus. There's a bus coming, folks. And it's the end. And it's near. You know, we don't get another opportunity. There's, there's all kinds of religions that teach that when you die, you get another opportunity. You get reincarnated or you get a second chance. It's not true. <laughs> You live once, you die once. After death is judgment. So how you live your life is important. 
the danger is real. Just as there was a beginning, there will be an end. For unbelievers today, this is the good news. If you're here and you're just checking out the claims of Christ, the things that I'm telling you, and faith is rising in your heart, the good news is, is that today you can become a believer. You can go from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. For believers, today is the day to live lives of godliness and holiness so that we are ready for that day. You know, do you anticipate the coming of the Lord? Do you think much about eternity and the day that you will meet Jesus? I do. I think about the day that I won't be, be in this body with my back hurting me as much as it does. I think about the day that I'll be in heaven. Clouds. You know, I imagine a fog that's like fog machines, you know. Think about it. I don't even think I'll have words the day that I'll meet Jesus. I just look forward to meeting him. And I look forward to his return. I do. Do we think much about these things? We ought to. We ought to. Let's pray real quick. You know, right now is an opportunity for you to engage in some self-examination. It's an opportunity to be honest with yourself. You know, to confess your faults one to another, like James 5.16 says. It says, when you confess your faults, we can pray for one another. And we can be healed and set right. So my question to you is, will you be willing to do that today? I'm not going to have you come up here and get on a microphone and say this is my sin. I'm just saying, be willing to be honest with yourself at least and honest with yourself before God. To confess and to pursue righteousness. There's some of you in this room, you say, you know what, I, I need to get right, Aaron. You mentioned getting right. and You, you say, I've been me-focused. I've been doing my own thing and even forgotten about God. You know, tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Solomon described our life in Ecclesiastes as a vapor that was here today and gone tomorrow. You say, well, Aaron, you're just trying to scare me. I would to God that I could scare you. I don't want to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth about how quickly life is here and gone. Sin deserves payment, and that payment is death. It's eternal, mental, physical death. But Jesus paid that price for you so that you could live in heaven on earth and spend an eternity in heaven with him at the end of all things. So if that's you and you're here today and you say, you're not going to get right with God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you'd be willing to say, yeah, that's me, I need to get right today, would you raise your hand and let me know that you're here? It's awesome. I appreciate your honesty. There's others of you that say, you know what, I don't share Christ's love, let alone with any kind of urgency, but you want to. You want to know how to do it. Maybe you've forgotten about the end of all things and that urgency from the uncertainty of when the end will come has slipped from your heart and from your mind. You think, I, I need to have that back. I need to remember there is an end and I have people in my life that need to hear this. If that's you and you've lost your urgency and want it back, would you raise your hand and let me know that you're here? It's awesome. Others of you say, I'm in, I have relationships that I need to begin, I need to mend, relationships that I need to trim, and others that I need to nurture. And I need the wisdom to know how to navigate each one of those. I need some boldness because, man, I've got to go ask forgiveness or or seek to be forgiven or to give forgiveness. I'm going to walk out of here today. I'm going to commit to doing that. If that's you, and you want me to pray for you, would you raise your hand? Others of you say, you know what, Aaron, I've stopped praying. I've stopped reading my Bible. I'm just not connected to, to the vine, to Jesus. Or I've forgotten to. 
I've forgotten the presence of God and the place of God in my life. And I want him to renew that passion in me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you for your honesty. I'm going to pray for you now. Lord, I, I pray for all those that have been willing to confess and be honest. Raise their hand first. For those that said, I want to get right. Father, I pray that you would give them assurance that today that they are forgiven, that today is their day of salvation, that today, as they repent and turn away from those things and pursue righteousness, Lord, that you would bless that and that you would fill their lives in incredible ways. Lord, for those that said, said that uh, they don't share and they want urgency, Father, I pray that you would, you would let this weigh heavy on their hearts that you are coming. So not only would they be prepared, but they would, with urgency, share your love and intentionality. That's really what we're looking at here is intentionally sharing Jesus' love with people. Not preaching at people, not, not beating them over the head with it, but intentionally loving them unconditionally. Lord, give us a passion and a heart to do that. Father, for those that are going to work on relationships, I pray that you would give them the boldness that they need. Lord, give them the grace and mercy that is also needed to navigate these things and the humility that it will require to begin the process of mending, of cutting out relationships nurturing relationships. Lord, I pray for those that are have confessed and said, I, my prayer life has dwindled. My passion for God is gone. Lord, the beautiful thing is that in this moment, saying, I want that passion back. Lord, that you can restore all things. So I pray that you would restore that passion there. And Lord, I know that as we feed ourselves the word, maybe it's five minutes or ten minutes a day, then Lord, we, we begin to crave what we feed ourselves. So as we feed ourselves, Lord, I pray that you would bless that. As we read from your word, I pray that you would bless that and increase our passions and our desires for you. As we spend time in prayer, that you would bless that, Lord. Bless that and lead us into right relationship with you. God, we thank you. We thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for the reminder today that you are coming soon and that we can be prepared and need to be prepared. And we'll look for you readily. Jesus, thank you. Amen. I'd like to ask our service hosts to come at this time. We're going to collect our tithes and offerings. Look, if you're a guest with us today, you're under no obligation to give. We're just so happy that you're here. Thank you for coming. Uh, but this is not the